Welcome. This is Quinn David Furness. This is my podcast, the Beantown Podcast. The uh, People's Podcast is voted by you, the fans. Uh, it is Saturday, June 23rd, 2018. This is our, I think, 24th episode. So we are getting close to the uh, the halfway spectacular. It's going to happen right around the 4th of July. What a, just a big celebration for our country. Love America and America loves the Beantown Podcast. So as uh, as promised, I'm going to be joined by a guest today who I will introduce in one second momentarily. I want to give the Beantown podcast disclaimer. Uh, listening discretion is advised when you're listening to my podcast. First and foremost, uh, we will use some adult language here and there, although uh, neither myself nor my guest have foul mouths by any means, I believe. Uh, and then the other thing is that the podcast is objectively terrible, although... It's going to be made a little bit less objectively terrible today because I'm joined by uh, one of my good friends, brothers from the School of Music. For those of you who don't know, yes, I was a music major for a brief stint in my life. Uh, lots of stories. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, joining me now on the podcast, John Paul Pendowski. Welcome to the Beantown Podcast. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, believe it or not, this is the second interview this month that I've done with a uh, resident of Elk Grove Village, your uh, former uh, high school sweetheart, Maggie J. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> uh, no, they, they never dated, but John Paul and uh, and Maggie both went to the same high school, same graduating class, right? Yes. Yeah, this is, uh, wow, inception almost. Not really, but I'll say it anyway. So uh, uh, John Paul Pendowski is currently a Master's of Music candidate at the DePaul University School of Music in the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago. Um, we entered as undergrads together. I graduated uh, in, in three years, but that was still plenty of time for uh, lots of early morning group piano sessions and uh, choir concerts and some uh, some shots in the basement of the uh, the concert hall. Uh, we had time for all of that. So, JP, why don't you uh, just get us started with uh, sharing a little bit of your story about how you decided to commit to majoring in music. Think back, you know, all the way six years ago when you were making this choice. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a... When I think back on my decision to go into music and to become a musician and sort of embark on this uh, sort of wild ride that is being a musician, I sort of have always thought about being a pianist and doing music, you know, especially in high school, when they, they sort of prime you into like, well, what do you want to do and what type of things do you want to get into? My, I, I was always under the impression that I would do something with music. And I mean, it makes sense. In high school, I was like that guy that knew so much about music. I was that pianist who would do stuff and was known primarily for the piano for a lot of people who didn't know me personally. And so, you know, it just became such a, you know, a big, big part of my identity as a high schooler. And I couldn't really imagine uh, breaking it off and not doing that in college. And so, you really, I, I sort of just went into the audition process as if it were the most normal thing that could happen. And when I started auditioning uh, my junior year, it was just like, well, where do I want to go? And, you know, it wasn't a question of do I really want to do music? And I mean, we have a lot of friends that like, you know, 
you know, before their junior year of high school, really didn't know if they were going to do music. Like, if you remember um, cello, David, you know, David from uh, our yeah. graduating yeah, yeah, yeah. class or my graduating class, you know, he didn't know, or even Sean didn't know if he was going to be a musician up until like late in his high school career. But for me personally, I just, I sort of felt that music was this calling that I couldn't ignore. Um, and so that's, that's really like how I got into, you know, auditioning and going to DePaul. And it, it only helped that my parents, they're both alums of DePaul as well. Yeah. My dad having a degree in music from there. And so, yeah, that's, that's yeah, I, I, two things. I recall a, a couple musicianship classes here and there when our professor Kurt would uh, would call you Jim. That's your dad's name, right? Jim or James? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he called I remember, me James, yep. like at least twice. <laughs> I remember that happening. The other thing, um, back to what you were saying about, you know, people we know who, who didn't decide to major in music until late in their life. Uh, I think I recall uh, Dominic, guitar player, he didn't even start playing guitar until like his freshman year of of high school. Uh, I don't I don't know that as fact, but I think I recall uh, in between one of the conversations about the Anaheim Ducks, I think he slipped that in at some point. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, if you ever get him talking about the Anaheim Ducks, <laughs> well, uh, I may, hopefully he was happy this year because as bad as the Anaheim Ducks were, the Blackhawks were even worse, and neither team made the playoffs. Uh, but uh, yikes, man! I know. Yeah, uh, getting getting back to uh, to the topic here. So you actually. You have a little extension of this story because you've made a choice that actually both you and one of our good friends, Ryan, made, um, and that is to go to the exact same school and the same program, more or less, and the same teacher uh, for your master's degree. So, so talk us uh, through a little bit more about how you made that decision. So it wasn't really a, it was kind of a hard decision to make when I was ending my undergraduate you know, career, and I was thinking about what I was going to do, and like, what was the, what is like my my what were my goals as a musician going forward, and that, and having to think about that for so long, you know, really pushed me to like weird, you know, extents of what I could do with music, what music really meant to me, and so there are a few factors that go into my decision to going back. Uh, one of the bigger ones being that, uh, well, two of the bigger ones. I take a break per se. I know that. For a lot of people, it's a great decision to take some time off from school, like to focus on yourself, maybe like accrue some money before going back and like spending it all on, on the tuition again. Um, but for me, it was like uh, it was like knowing myself, I wanted to stay in a routine that kept me working and kept me like pushing towards a goal rather than like becoming a little bit uh, what's the word for it? Like sort of sticking that, like staying down in my career and you know not really practicing as much with all my free time. And so that sort of temptation, that temptation and the worry that I wouldn't practice for a year if I took a year off, sort of pushed me into taking my masters at DePaul. Another thing too is just my goals for uh, my goals for what I wanted to do music shifted substantially while I was uh, like in my last year and. Um, it just it made a lot more sense for me to go into DePaul and use it as like uh, use it as a stepping stone towards a, like a, a better musical goal. I would serve like what I wanted from music after after my master's degree, and so like uh, and and I mean like going back to going back to George as well and back to my instructor, it's. Uh, 
He's a, I mean, he's such a great performer, and he has so many insights. And his like his prominence in Chicago as like one of the best pianists in Chicago uh, really like stands out among like where you can go and what you can do. And I mean, I'm throwing a lot of information at you that uh, that should be taken into account for anyone who wants to go back. I mean, I think kept me in Chicago, kept me to Paul. Really, was that um, I have I, I was starting to spread out. Uh, you know, rooting my career in Chicago, and I was getting a bit more work, and I was I was making a lot more connections. And so, for me, it made sense to stay in Chicago and um, like work. Goal of music, another goal in music, while also retaining like my students, being able to set up my career in Chicago. That it's it has like boundless amounts of uh, uh, opportunities, and and so that really went into why I wanted to stay at DePaul. You know, would I have liked to go, like go to another school? You know, that would have been nice. I think um, I think part of it has to fall on, like, you know, I have to blame myself a little bit for not preparing enough for that. But at the same time, like, it, it comes with its pros and cons of living in a big city. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I'm actually curious about, and I think I partially know the answer, um, what, what, what did the finances of this look like? You know, you think about... Uh, just sticking around in DePaul um, versus, you know, you, you might go somewhere else, uh, you know, Michigan or USC or, or wherever to get your master's in music. Um, I don't know what, what the expenses look like for, look like in that instance. So um, how, did the finances, uh, the financial aid, did that come into play at all? So I actually didn't, uh, I didn't apply for any financial aid for this year or like for the next year as well. Um, I, I didn't get full, I didn't get full tuition, but I got, you know, a substantial amount, maybe about 70 or 75% of it paid for. And so uh, for me, it was just, you know, it was a better decision to, uh, to go and to like, just pay it off and not have to accrue any more debt than I already have. And also, and sort of, and that played into why I went back as well, considering that like, you know, not like some people don't get you know, the opportunity to go back with scholarship and to have their schooling paid for. And so trying to be grateful with, with you know, the opportunity I was given, I, I didn't want to pass up. Yeah, so, so to clarify, you're, you're not getting um, financial aid per se, but you're, you're, on, you're on scholarship from the School of Music, right? I'm on scholarship, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm on scholarship and I'm just paying tuition out of pocket. Yeah, and that's a big thing. I mean, for for a school like DePaul, who's a solid music school, but not you know the top of the top. It's um, you know you can get that that scholarship from them, and I'm sure that they're pretty eager to hand that out to you because they know your your abilities, they know your potential. Whereas you can go to another master of music program, and it it might be high, more highly rated than DePaul. It might be the same rating as DePaul, but they don't know you as well, and so you're you're taking a little bit more of a gamble. Um, with 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 the finances in general, so um, yeah, yeah. So so you you're you're not on like a you know government uh, federal aid of any kind, but you are getting a lot of it covered by by scholarship, and that's an important thing. Um, I know this is a conversation that that we've had frequently in the past, but I I haven't had this conversation with you uh, in a couple months now. So so talk me through a little bit about. Um, career interests, goals, you know, this point next year, what you hope to be doing. Uh, give us a little glimpse into that. Gladly. So um, what has really piqued my interest the last few years has been more of the research side of music. 
going into the fine details around, like, surrounding how music developed, you know, and to be really broad with it, like the cultural and the philosophical implications surrounding music and its development. So what sort of started off, what started me on this path towards research was um, I had it's sort of a. It's gonna feel or sound like it's a long story, but I promise it won't be. It won't be too. I attended a concert where I listened to. Uh, I heard my first Prokofiev, and you know, from then on, I was just sort of taken by his music, and I was so uh, amazed and you know, in wonder about how he could write something you know so seemingly random, you know, so jarring and disgusting, and yet have it be like this this masterwork of music that I can just enjoy time and time after time and time again. And so, you know, I did, I started like looking into it by myself. I played a sonata, like I, I play his music and I look through, I listen to it frequently and I, I did that a lot. And, and what, what inevitably happened was it led me into other, like other Russian musicians and composers of the same time period. And uh, thinking about how, like how their environment and how, uh, their political, their political standing, and like the culture surrounding them, pushed them into a musical sound that was sounded. I'm, I'm speaking my, mainly of like Prokofiev, Prokofiev, Stravinsky, you know, the, those big guys, you know, and to some extent like the Kachaturian, but it's another conversation. And so what, and that interests me a whole lot. And so I brought it to uh, Dr. Elias, who told me like, so who told me, you know, gave me some direction about where I sh- what I should be doing and you know, sort of oriented me towards musicology. And so that was my, that was my plan last year was that I wanted to take DePaul as the, as a way of getting, of uh, getting myself rooted in Chicago, but then also using my performance degree that I would get as a master's student to, uh, to look more into this, uh, into my interest with Russian piano music and to, and, you know, give myself more of a chance to study it. And so what it's become lately, uh, especially with like, uh, having written, you know, having written some substantial work on it, I, uh, I've really become interested in how, you know, Russian music spanning, like, you know, before the 18th century was just so uh, anti-Western. It didn't really, it was heavily based on, like, either, like, orthodox music or secular music that was spread around orally or uh, through tradition. And so, like, you know, they, they sort of, like, roar into the 18th century uh, when they, you know, with Peter the Great, you know, getting into France, getting into the West and using France as their standard for understanding culture. And so that's sort of a big deal. And I, I, I think what's really interesting for me is seeing how the like interplay of cultures and mainly how the how sort of like the view of Russia as a sort of oriental sound as an oriental culture really piqued everyone in the West's interest. They really had a feel for that oriental, orientalist sound, as they called it, um, orientalism. And they, and I remember reading about a quote that was from uh, the Guide Musicale, a, a French, a French magazine of sorts or journal that basically said like the Russians afforded so much beautiful sound because of their proximity to the to the Orient, and you know their ability to like, tap into those sounds and those harmonies, you know, just automatically affords them a richer musical history and musical culture. And so it's, it's sort of that, that study that is, uh, that is really interesting to me. And, you know, by association, that, that like pouring into the historical, like historical musics of Russia pre-1800 or 1700 rather, um, that 
is all based on these like all based on these oriental melodies and all of this like you know these more ancient russian musics yeah, you and i have had extensive conversations in the past about uh alexander scrobin specifically who at one point in a young quinn's uh music career i spent a summer writing a a 20-page research paper about uh, his styles comparing and contrasting and, and how they changed and why they changed. But um, you mentioned uh, the the Russian and uh, kind of Parisian French styles uh, connecting with each other at some point in history. And if you look at you know an early Scrabin work and you listen to it, one could easily confuse it for a, a Chopin piece. And then you give it another five years and all of a sudden... Scrobbins writing piano stuff that sounds like nothing else at the time and is really difficult to play and really difficult to understand. So yeah, it's definitely uh, very volatile. It changed quickly, but like you said, it's it's fascinating. Um, it's certainly cosmopolitan. Yet at the same time, there is this I don't know. There's this distinct Russian sound, and I think. Uh, Tchaikovsky does a good job, among others, of, of capturing that. Um, as I ramble here, have you ever, I'm holding in my hand right now, um, a collection of essays by Richard Tarskin, who is, you may or may not know, I assume you yeah. know at this point, um, yeah. his, his essays on Russian music. Um, have you ever picked up this volume? It's just like a, a green cover. It's titled On Russian Music, and it's just a collection of about 35 different Tarskin essays. Yeah, actually, I actually own the uh, own the book. Very good. It was part of it was part of my research. Uh, just looking through it, there he has a lot of really interesting things to say about. You know, I don't know if you've read through the early chapters, but like Borsanyansky and his work with uh, Baltasari Galupi, and you know how how that works with like the Orthodox Church, and then with Dragomishki as well. Um, his writing, like. Uh, his writing to get into it a little bit is always really fun to read just because he's such a uh, provocateur you know he's kind of like if you if you get on his bad side like he'll flame you really yeah. hard yeah. and it's uh, it's it's funny because like he he kind of like in in the most concise ways he'll give like a scathing review of someone's like criticism of him and you know it, it i mean i guess like his book isn't without drama and i it, it really draws attention because of that well at the same time he's got such a like a vast knowledge of russian music that just sort of it comes off as being almost completely natural like that that his style of writing is almost conversational and he's speaking to you in the room yeah boy uh talking about 19th century Russian music and operas on the Beantown podcast. It's just, that's just what everyone comes here for. So uh, you're welcome, I listeners. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll briefly, uh, so we, so that we don't get terribly long here, because there are a couple other things that that I definitely want to touch on, and we're already into you know 19 minutes here. Uh, I'll briefly share share my story. I think we're going to transition this now into sort of talking about. Um, outcomes and just sharing, you know, we already shared a little bit, um, you know, kind of on the front half of being a music major and how you decide to get into it. But, you know, the types of things that are happening um, on the back end post-graduation are, are really fascinating as well. So um, for those of you, most of you who know me probably know that I was uh, a music major with, with John Paul, with a lot of the other guys that uh, we mentioned here. 
uh, for three years. I chose it really because uh, I was 17 and I had no idea what I wanted to study. I'd always been a really good student in high school, so I wasn't concerned about you know, not being able to do something other than maybe like engineering because I really didn't like AP physics. Uh, but I, I chose to study music because I knew that I was, I had a good talent for the piano and uh, it just seemed like something I could do and I knew that I was going to get um, a good financial aid package as well because of the scholarship stuff that we talked about. Um, so I actually kind of came around to this musicological way of thinking um, before a lot of people do, I actually knew, you know, applying to schools that that was what I wanted to do. I never had an interest in spending, you know, four years as a music major, um, you know, and practicing hardcore three, four hours a day and giving a bunch of these concerts because I get just absolutely terrible uh, stage anxiety. Uh, so I came in knowing that I wanted to do that research, and I think it was just a, it was a combination for me at DePaul and why. I won't say things didn't work out because I actually had a great time, but why I, I didn't end up pursuing musicology was a combination of two things. One, I'm very much just a uh, laid back is one thing, but but I do better when the opportunities are, are sort of placed in front of me. I'm not as good at uh, kind of just going out and taking things for myself, whether that be research opportunities or uh, jobs or performance opportunities, whatever. So that was the first half of it. The second half of it is, uh, and, and John Paul, you've done a much better job of navigating this than I have. But there just there aren't a ton of musical research um, opportunities or even staff uh, or faculty members um, at our school. Right? Our school definitely does not, or I guess your school. It's not my school anymore. Um, there isn't a huge emphasis on research, and there isn't a huge appetite for it either. I mean, I, I know you, um, and if I sat down for a couple minutes and thought I could probably identify one or two other music majors that I knew who were interested in research, but beyond that, it's pretty much performance and it's uh, technology and it's education at DePaul. There really isn't much in the way of the types of things that, that you're interested in and that I'm interested in. So um, I think it was a combination of those things that that led me to just kind of get out of it. And then the other thing is, is I, I know that you're, you're still somewhat experiencing this, but I know you've experienced it more hardcore in the past, is just this living from gig to gig, uh, paycheck to paycheck, not always sure when your uh, next big money boost is going to come in. And for me, who is someone that struggles with anxiety and likes knowing when my paycheck is coming, um, that was just a lifestyle that that I don't know, I just, I really struggled to, to throw myself fully into. So um, I, I ended up going to grad school and getting a degree in education and the rest is history. But um, it's certainly, and I'll, I'll wrap up my story here, it's certainly um, a skill that you never have taken away from you, which is particularly useful as a, a piano person because, yeah, maybe a church needs a accompanist, or maybe you know, anybody needs an accompanist, or maybe you have the opportunity to teach a little bit. Um, you certainly get rusty and significantly worse as you don't uh, consistently practice and hone your craft. I'm a living example of that. But uh, at the end of the day, I can still sit down and I can play you my scales. And I know music theory like it's a second language, which is a huge thing. 
um, that I know you and I have uh, talked about in the past is the advantage that pianists have with just knowing music theory inherently. So those are still things that, that I, I carry with me to this day. I'll be listening to my iPod and listening to a random song and almost without me realizing it, I'll just be thinking, okay, one, four, six, two, five, back to one, that sort of thing that just, I don't know, that runs in the back of my, my operating system, which is kind of weird, but also I think really cool. So um, I'll wrap my story up there because it wasn't very exciting, but uh, let's, uh, let's just talk a little bit about some of the people that we have known or currently know and, and who are all music majors at some point, um, whether they left school or they graduated or they switched majors, we'll include all of that here. Um, it's all good. It started off with a couple of people um, who I, some of them I keep in touch with, some of them I just see on Facebook, but our friend Jack, um, who I know did a lot of like uh, house party concerts and there's some good videos and he actually has one song on YouTube that has like 80,000 views or something, but he still wow. records. Uh, I know he just dropped a new track on SoundCloud like a week ago, uh, and I listened to it. It's really fun. But he works full-time in Boulder um, as a software engineer, which is related directly to, you know, he was a um, performing arts technology, if that's what they call it, uh, major. And so he's, he's doing that. So he got into the engineering game, and uh, I hope that he continues to record music and play with whatever band he's recording with because um, that's actually really good. I'm actually, I, I promised I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. If you're interested, go check out Jack Campbell uh, on SoundCloud, and he has some music videos on YouTube. Uh, Jack, I hope you don't mind, because uh, I'm sure you listen to the podcast all the time. Um, you, I love your music. Another guy, uh, Nick, who I never knew super closely, but I, I almost wish I knew better because he was always really nice to me, uh, and I didn't have any issues with him. He goes to Wash U in St. Louis, and he's in law school, uh, which is definitely a unique twist. I don't know of any um, other people in our class that either went to law school or went to med school. That's just like not a thing that happens very often. So here's a unique story that I wanted to touch on. Um, our friend Jang, who, uh, who I grew up in the same town with, he goes to IIT, and he's doing an architecture degree out of all things, um, played soccer against Jang in high school. Uh, Miguel, he stayed at DePaul, but he switched, what, was he math or engineering or something? I don't remember. I think uh, computer science. Computer science, that's right. I remember that. Um, yeah, so he stayed at school. He, he just decided to do something else differently. Um, Chris, I, who I don't think either of us really knew that well, but he, he, he was in school for like one year, maybe two, and he works as uh, a mechanic, an auto mechanic now, which uh, is definitely something different. Um, so that was just a, a, a rundown uh, of some of the people that I don't necessarily keep in touch with, but I see on their Facebook feeds what they're doing. Um, do you have any other unique stories uh, of what people have been doing since uh, either graduation or since their days as a music major? Um, well, I mean, the first one that, that I always think about is you, like, um, getting your degree and then going into education. Like, I don't think, um, I think 
that was like I don't know if anyone expected it. I mean, I knew that I knew that you were going into it just because we kept in contact and like you know we used to talk. And um, off the top of my head, I think I mean we've got uh, like we've got our old classmates too. Though like my uh, like Henry, who like he jobs, he like you know he'll gig around the city whenever, or he'll even take gigs like out of the like out of the city and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think like coming out of music school idea that when you're in music school that you'll go into like like oh it'll be like this really nice thing where we'll go like you'll get a job playing the instrument that you've you know practiced so hard on but i think like a lot of times like or at least a a lot more commonly than you might expect like trying to think of like other like some of our other classmates that you know may have but have taken like other roads um and i mean unfortunately it's like my my memory is betraying me, but... Well, I think the most common thing that I see are, are people are certainly, you know, after graduation, they're, they're playing in orchestras. That's a pretty common thing to do, but, you know, for most people, that's not going to, you know, give you your, your living paycheck. So I think, I think the standard is to get out, play in orchestras, do a lot of gigging around the city, and then uh, potentially start getting into the the teaching game as well, but you'll see that they're, um, I mean, Henry, he used to drive for Uber. Does he still do that? I think he does. Yeah, and, and our friend Sean uh, works at a at a coffee shop, so it's certainly some of the uh, outsider perspective stereotypes where you're working a bunch of different jobs to try to make ends meet. That's certainly true. Um, I'm definitely glad that that we lived in and used to live in Chicago and not a place like Manhattan or even you go to a place like um, Berkeley or something and it's in uh, in Boston and living right there is just crazy expensive and Chicago really isn't that bad and it's big enough to where there are a lot of different places you can live and it's actually really affordable compared to um, a lot of other places so yeah, I guess uh, moral of the story here is there are a bunch of different things that, that people go into. I mean, we have such a small sample size. The graduating class for us is like 70 people. Um, but it, one other thing, our, our friend uh, Stephen has done a lot of odd jobs since graduating. He does a lot of like working as a setup and teardown crew, uh, working weird hours, uh, late hours, lots of like third shift stuff. So... Um, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of stuff all over the place and doing a lot of gigs and part-time jobs to make ends meet. But I guess uh, the the old adage is true: if you love what you're doing, then then it's worth it. And I think that was that underlying philosophy might have been the biggest thing for me is that I I never truly loved performing, and I still don't, and I never have, and I probably never will. And I got to the point where I realized I just didn't love. Um, you know, music research because you know you want to do something like that, and you want to become a, a faculty member in musicology or ethnomusicology. Then you pretty much exclusively have to go get your PhD as, as well, and that's just um, whether it's finances or time or just your own personal happiness. That is a huge commitment, um, and I just was definitely not ready to take that step. Are you, uh, JP, are you thinking of, of going the Ph.D. route? Absolutely. I have, um, 
I have my schools lined up. That's actually why I've been writing papers or trying to do so the last like eight months or so. It's just been to prepare myself for uh, entrances, and um, and so you know that's that's going to happen relatively soon. I think it's coming up quicker than I'm thinking than I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What uh, what what programs are you looking at? I'm definitely looking at University of Chicago. Um, I guess with them, the the question is whether or not to go into ethnomusicology or a music history sort of aspect of musicology. Um, there's that. I'm looking at Northwestern, of course. Um, I'm looking at Madison, uh, MSU, Boston University, um, and then I'm going to apply for Columbia because I know that uh, Richard Taruskin is there. Yeah. And so you know, hope you know, it's a long shot. Oh yeah. Also, maybe also Yale as well. I mean, I know that Yale is uh, Yale is trying to build up its music school and trying to build up its program. So, uh, I mean, not to say that they're doling out money, but like there are definitely opportunities at Yale sure. if you want to pursue sure. music. What is uh, what is the process uh, application components look like? Is it just you submitting um, essays that you've written, research papers, or what? What are they looking for? Uh, it's it's basic. So I think the the meat of the application is that it's like all the work that you've done, you know, the app, like the papers that you've written and stuff that they can, you know, uh, I guess ascertain what your uh, study is and whether or not they want to like, want to, they want to, uh, I guess, help you get to where you want to go. The other part is you need to take the GRE, and so I'm prepping for that as well. And then um, what is it? And then just having like a, a good like you know CV. Or having a good artist statement um, as well. Most of the programs that I've looked at don't require much else other than that, and you know, a master's degree. But like, and so, but that's why I'm spending so much time trying to get these, trying to get my papers underway. I've got one more to write, and um, after that, it'll just be fine tuning for the next three months. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Hey, if you uh, you you want any GRE tips, you're talking to. Uh the master over here. Hey, so. I mean, I, I will hit you up for those tips, man. I'm like, <laughs> I haven't taken a standardized test in uh, yeah, five years now. So Yeah, okay. man, you're going to have to uh, revamp your uh, Algebra 2 knowledge, bring that back yeah, to life. Yikes. So And some is that, statistics. Is that, they, is that what they do, Algebra 2? It's a lot of Algebra 2 and some basic statistics and oh, okay. uh, a, a, a hefty amount of geometry as well. I don't remember if there's any trig on there, but I think I know geometry plays a significant part. So um, that's fine for me. It's more of the I'm just afraid of it getting you know anywhere until like you know past calc one stuff because that's where they yeah. sort of dropped off. With yeah, math. no, there's no calculus or or uh, or anything beyond that on the GRE, which is nice. Um, yeah, the I have one other. Uh, not maybe big question, but question I want to post to you before we uh, we start to wrap it up and just reminisce a little bit here. But my my last big question for you is: um, In what ways did you change or grow um, significantly in your first year of grad school? So I guess one of the biggest things that's happened to me, or like you know how my character has changed, is more like I, I value. Um, I'm coming to a point where I value having time to myself and I value like having, uh, you know, basically enough time to prepare something well. Um, you know, because a lot of times when you're, uh, when you're starting off in music, you, you're in this mindset, or at least I was where I didn't want to turn any gig down. I didn't want to like, 
Um, I didn't want to pass up an opportunity because like, you know, it was more than just making money. It was like, you know, you're putting your name out there. Like people know that you can do this. And, you know, if they know that they can call you and you'll answer the first time, there's, you know, definitely a case to be made about them calling you a second time and getting that gig again. And so like trying to, there's a sort of need and a, a will for myself to be established in the musical community and trying to get myself out there and, and like build a resume because at that point I didn't really have anything to go off of. But so like as of late, you know, this last year I've been able to pick up work and, um, you know, really build on my resume in ways that are like, you know, having regular work, teaching, um, you know, for institutions and doing stuff like that. And so I, what I've come to a lot, uh, what I've come to appreciate a lot more is, uh, you know, creating a schedule that allows me to either to, you know, both a, have enough time to myself and that's you know that was part of um you know that came came about part of uh part as sorry came about as i was you know living in chicago you know going around trying to uh trying to uh, get a lot enough time to do both school both work and then practicing and so uh so there's that and then the other part too is um i've come to really appreciate simplification and simplifying almost anything you know Progressing, simplifying, simplifying a routine, or you know, making your life simpler has made my has, like has made my life so much easier. And it's sort of like a lesson that I've had to learn uh, continuously over this entire year, um, because I was still in that mindset where the community, but um, both by but by simplifying my life and by basically being real with how much I could do and how much I could reasonably handle, I was able to, you know. Make, a, make for myself a better environment with which I was supposed to, like, you know, work and do things. And so that's, that's if I'm to, like, if I were to go back and tell myself something that I needed to know, it would be, like, don't be afraid to say no and, you know, definitely simplify. Like, nothing has to be so complex that, uh, you know, that you sort of lose sight of what you're doing. Having that, having that end goal in mind at all, at, you know, at any point is, the, is what simplification should be about. Yeah, I promised my listeners uh, <clears throat> last week when, when I announced that you were going to be joining us that uh, you had a lot of sage wisdom and advice, and I always look forward to uh, to our conversations because I think you're much better at articulating uh, advice than uh, than I am. So it's always always nice to to have you share your thoughts because uh, it, it makes a big yeah, difference I really to me. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, last thing before we wrap up here, already pretty deep in. I don't want to keep it too much longer on your weekend here. Uh, just uh, sharing any uh, any of your favorite memories from, from undergrad. They don't have to be related to uh, to us, just, just anything that you thought was really fun. I have a couple that, that I wrote down. Um, some of them I'm, I'm sure you'll remember and find fun. Some of them are just for my own uh, benefit. But uh, uh, taking shots... In the uh, the basement yep. of the Casser Hall, um, I think we I usually drank still. shitty vodka. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I said vodka because that remember I reminded me in your old apartment on Sheffield. I remember you used to have that stupid marshmallow vodka, and that that <laughs> stuff just tasted like ass. Oh my god, it was that was terrible. That was the worst thing I've ever bought, and the only reason I bought it was because like they were selling it at ninety percent off at the the like what at DVS, and so yeah. I was like, you know, this is probably good for mixing. Absolutely terrible for everything. It ruined everything it touched. 
There was there was one time. This must have. Oh yes, it was because some of us were twenty one, some of us weren't. We went to that CVS South of your apartment by Binnie's, and uh, was it me and Ryan? We were just like bumming around and trying yeah, to get you yeah. to buy the alcohol, and the lady wouldn't sell to us because yeah, when we, uh, were, we bought the cocktail. Remember that? Yeah. Because she wanted she wanted all of us to be over twenty one at that point. That was that was a that was a small window because when, when's your birthday? Like September. Yeah. Yeah, and and I am the last one to turn twenty one. That's March, so yeah, it must have been sometime during that that school year. Oh, that was that was frustrating. Um, group piano in general is just uh, something I'll never forget, um, partially because of our instructor, uh, Carpe Ziem. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a lot of what Derek class started eight thirty a.m. Is that when they started? Um, yeah. Yeah, just, uh, I mean, good for getting out of the way. But I, I can recall particularly our sophomore year, a lot of days uh, when I would wake up at like 6 a.m., take the train down from uptown, get a coffee at the student center as soon as it opened at 7.30, and then go practice for group piano uh, for like 45 minutes. That was the only time I would ever look at my stuff. <laughs> and I can distinctly remember some class periods where, <laughs> you walk in like 30 seconds before you're expected to play because you would always sit in the front row. <laughs> and some days I just felt so bad because it just was not working for you. <laughs> That's, I don't know if you remember, but sometimes sometimes I'd come and I'd be like, I'm not doing this. And I would sit far in the back and I would shaft Ryan, who always sat next to me. And so you'd have to deal with the first of it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, know. I, I can't believe that, that Sato, I think he just didn't care enough. But I can't believe that he never like did a randomization thing going because... Uh, man, there were definitely. I I think I was always pretty good at this, but I know people like Maxwell, and uh, and Kashi to an extent definitely utilized their position in uh, yeah. in the rotation to get stuff done. So uh, <laughs> I also distinctly remember a couple class periods because I I was usually the second to last one to go, especially after Sam dropped out. Um, oh yeah. But I I oh, can right, recall right. like leaving the classroom <laughs> as. Um, as Maxwell is playing and just listening to it not going well. And I just take one last look back and we make eye contact. And in that moment, I just felt so bad. Oh, man. But uh, some piano of the, some of not things he him. made us do that were pretty rough, though. Like having to – so sight reading, like, multiple part, like, orchestrations was really hard. Oh, and, yeah, like, absolutely. I just think – like none of us, none of us ever took it too seriously, and that was the big problem. I loved, I loved coming in like on those on those certain Fridays where we'd all have to play, and we'd yeah. all we'd all have to play uh, Beethoven reductions, yeah. and we'd all get there. And like there'd be some times where it'd be like, I definitely looked at the, I, you know, I definitely looked at the part, and it's solid. And then there are times where I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like, I'm ho- hoping I can remember what this one sounds like. Uh, <laughs> yep, and I think we got together probably somewhere between our sophomore and junior years, and we played uh, Beethoven Five in the green room. Yep. <laughs> and I just yeah. remember getting to the end, and, and we both knew how it sounded. It's the even the last <laughs> one is very famous, but it just being we took it too fast, and uh, it, and C ma- C major isn't exactly the easiest key to play in, and yeah, it was yeah, surprisingly just, everyone starts on that, but it's like it's definitely like this weird awkward key to play in. Yeah, it's I don't I don't know what the 
physical stuff is behind it and the spacing of your fingers. But, yeah, it's not easy. Um, I'll, I'll keep going here because we're running long. But uh, this, this one was just my own one. <laughs> we, had a, um, we had, like, a test prep class session in musicianship when uh, Dr. Hutter was teaching us. I don't even know if you were in this class um, in this section, but I remember one time, because these classes are at 8.30 a.m. and you're a college student, I woke up and went to class in my sweatpants and probably like a hoodie or something. Um, And we were doing like this weird family feud style thing like at the buzzer where two people go up and it's like whoever can answer it faster. And I remember the first time I walked up all Dr. Hutter said, and this is way better if you know him, which obviously no one does, but he's hilarious. All he says is, nice of you to get dressed up. And I just, I, I, it was this combination of like me feeling embarrassment, but also just like laughing because I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. So that was a fun one. Uh, one that I just thought of like five minutes ago that I, I loved. Um, when you played piano for... Uh, was it you're a dead man, Charlie Brown? Um, a lot oh of the, God, yeah. a lot of what I talk about is is hot Snoopy, and that's a topic for another time. But you yeah. had to play to to accompany Lucy in one of the songs. You were playing uh, the first moon of the moonlight sonata, I think, and your music like flew away or fell off the stand or something. Oh yeah, and you played it by oh, memory geez. and you killed it and. I think, was it Ryan and I, we were there? Or me and Steven, I don't yeah, remember. But... You, you, and, you and Ryan were there for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I remember like getting out of that being like, oh, I don't want to do this ever again. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think one, of my, one of my favorite parts about that, that you know, whole ordeal um, was, uh, for, all of, for all the listeners who ever watch Always Sunny, they had asked me to do incidental music. Do you watch Always Sunny, Quinn? Yep. They had asked me to do incident, incidental music, and... Um, I needed something heroic sounding, so of course the first thing that came to mind was a piano reduction of the Dayman song, and I was able to slip that in in both concerts. <laughs> That's I, I love that. I used to do that in church, and I, I would never do anything as bold as that. But like you're playing while the pastor's praying or something, and they'll say like a particular phrase that triggers some song in your head, and you just work it yeah. in. And you're probably <laughs> the only one in the room who gets it, but. But you're having fun either way. Um, yeah, that's something that's great about piano. You can't really do that with anything else. Um, no, I mean, you get to accompany yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> Keep yourself company. Um, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but just all the the choir songs that we sang, particularly in our freshman year when we had a, a different uh, conductor and the songs he chose, like uh, – uh, Bring us in, Good Ale, and uh, yep. Bali Laka. Is that ringing oh, bells for was you? That the, was that the American rock song that we ended up doing, where it just sounded like it needed a a, a ripping guitar solo? Over well, it? Bali, Bali Laka was like the the South Asian one with the the Sagadugu Sagadugu Sagadugu, and yeah, uh, yeah, that's the yeah America America <laughs> stretch into four syllables, and uh, yeah, I don't even think I I'm confident that that sounded like total garbage when we actually sang it in the concert. We just never got that going. <laughs> I, I forget about the Sagadugu part. That's, uh, that's gold. That's DePaul gold. It was, they were 16th notes, and the quarter note was already like 100 beats or something. It was just, uh, that was brutal. I mean, for all, the, for all the crap that we sang in our two years of choir, we also got to do some fun things. Uh, we did Mozart's Requiem in the church, which was yep. really cool. So, um, 
Yeah, there were there were there were good good days and bad days in choir. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I don't know if you know this story, but I remember uh, that. So when we did Mozart from the first time, it was with Michael, and uh, it was it was such a it was, it was a heavy performance. It was like some it was something profound. So I remember that same night. It was both. It was someone's birthday, and I went out, and I had just a bit too much to drink. And, like, that, I remember we had to get up. We had to be there by 1 p.m., and I just remember standing there for 45 minutes straight, completely hungover, singing Mozart's Requiem. And I, I like to think that that's, a, that's an experience that only music school students would ever, like, would ever have. And it's something that we should, like, I'd there because of that. Like singing this beautifully profound and sad like uh, piece of music, and you're also just hung over the entire. Yeah, that, and I don't know if this is true everywhere, but certainly at DePaul, that time when you're a freshman and a sophomore, where you like have the total liberty to just like be a total, not not necessarily a slacker, but just like do whatever you want and get away with it, and there won't be really any consequences especially because you're singing in like a 70 person choir where you can pull that off you know i was never i was never drunk for any concerts in college i never had the the balls nor did i ever want to do that but uh i i wouldn't be surprised and i could give you a list of a couple names of guys that i wouldn't be surprised if if they were for those concerts um one other thing or i have a couple other things but uh there was that conversation in the uh, music student lounge where we were sitting with our friend Kasha, and this was when she was together with uh, Tom Number One, uh, not yep. to be confused with Tom Number Two, and uh, <laughs> she had left her phone, which is just like a very unkasha thing to do, and it went to the bathroom. And of course, Tom calls, and uh, I, you know, I got a shining moment here. I got to take advantage of, and I remember picking up, and I said something like. Oh yeah, she's uh, she's getting out of the shower or something, and you don't people who are listening to this don't know Kasha, but they definitely know Tom, don't know Tom, and neither do we really. But no, they, no, not at all. They really had some uh, probably not the healthiest relationship and some insecurities, and um, I mean I was a total dick, but at the same time, it's just it was too easy. So that was that one was... of my <laughs> favorite ones. That was, uh, no, that was that was hilarious. I know Ryan and I definitely like died like listening <laughs> to that. We're just like, oh man, like there's no way you just did that. Yeah, uh, yeah. One other. Oh, I have I have one other good one, uh, and then I'll turn it over to you to finish up if you have any any fun memories. Um, yeah. <laughs> that one night, I think it was our. I don't know if it was our sophomore year or our junior year, but it might have been our. I actually don't remember. We you remember the night where we ended up at Danny's house. <laughs> Oh and my god! That was had, the same night that we that was the same night we did the shots in the in the, the concert hall. Yeah, we had like, I, I think like yeah. we did some shots in the concert hall, then we went to a concert which ended up being like way too long. And it was uh, right of spring. I thought that I thought it was like a new music thing or something because didn't we leave early? It was right of spring. We right we we left right afterwards. Okay, so we left and then we we went downtown. Right, we took the train downtown. Oh my. Yeah, we, we went all the way downtown. I don't even know why we went downtown. <laughs> well, no, we you went had downtown a friend. to meet my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we met them my on the street for like two minutes. <laughs> and then though you ran into that guy, and he was pissed about something. And with a hat, right? Yeah, something with a hat. I don't remember why. Um, and then I think we, I think I, my plan was just like, because I, I was drunk this whole time, which is a very, not a common thing for me to do. Um, but... We somehow stumbled into 
Danny's party, which he lived in like Lakeview or something. And I just remember I had a handle of Smirnoff in my backpack. And this was probably like the worst thing I ever did. Uh, and well, a couple of other bad things that I won't talk about. But uh, I gave, I was just like handing out shots to freshmen who were at that party and uh, like out of the handle. And yeah, I think the night ended after that. But that was a weird night. That was, yeah, that was a weird night. Not was, something I think really, that was before, like, the ride-sharing craze. I remember not having, like, Uber or Lyft at that point. And sure. so, like... Well, yeah, just ride that train up and down all night. Um, oh, man. It's free, do you, so... Do you have any uh, uh, memories or reminiscences uh, from undergrad or, or really any of your time at DePaul that, that really stick out to you? So, I, I have two... Um, just, just to keep it short, um, and they're more general, but so like my, my, some of my favorite moments, uh, in general, and just some of my favorite like times were had after root piano where we would go and, um, we'd go and get coffee with all the pianists yeah. and, um, you know, we would just like shoot the shit for like maybe a couple hours max, maybe hour and a half before, like before we had to go to studio or before we had to practice. And, um, those conversations always ended up like. At a place you wouldn't expect them, but because of that, they they're so. Uh, because of that, they just have such a special place for me. Uh, just you know, having that, just meeting up every every Friday and just having that time to hang out was uh, it's it's invaluable. And um, you know, those are the moments that stuck with me. You know, you know, it was always you there first. I'd get there sometime around. Uh, good old Ryan would show up <laughs> sometime. Oh, uh, sorry, guys. Uh, I just I just woke up. I'll be there in like twenty minutes, and then he gets there forty five yeah. minutes later. <laughs> and then I think like one of the fun parts about that too is like it's sort of the first fruits of like us having a thing, and then we'd have like guests show up at some point. Like I know Stephen would show up <laughs> from time to time. We'd have Max there from time to time too. Yeah. Just like it was, it was just always it was always just a positive hang and a positive experience for all of us. And we got to like talk about ideas we had going on, or like you know share new music. We're just like be dumb, and then we just like it was the best because I think that's where a lot of our like our friendships all really just bloomed because of that. And then the second one that you know that I sort of take to heart a lot of the time is um, we used to have a thing, you know, it was our junior year, my like around sophomore junior year, where Thursdays we would hang out and uh, watch movies. And you know, the movie thing you know fell through eventually when we all got busy. But there was that certain time when we got to introduce Ryan to all those Star Wars movies. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just, that was fun for me. You know, you pick up some beer, like we get some Stella, and we'd, uh, and this is before like the huge IPA craze and before we got into all the crap <laughs> stuff. But like, you know, you know, we just get beer and just hang out and watch Star Wars. And it was just like such a good experience for me. Something that I miss a lot actually is having a regular movie night. And so. Oh, you yeah, guys! I mean, you they, guys had that giant ass TV that was good it, for, uh, for they movies. Still, they still have a weird ass TV, man. It's huge and it's like seventy pounds. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Um, Such a bitch to move. Yeah, and then one time uh, last year, like just randomly, one time Ryan and I drove down to <clears throat> that place where you live for, uh, I I think what just one year or two years maybe, and uh, we watched two thousand one. Do you remember that? I do remember that. That was the first time Ryan had ever seen it, too, right? I know you, you've got, you've got a vast, you've got a big movie knowledge, so I, I think you had seen it before, right? Yeah, I had, but not not for a while, and not like as an adult. So, 
Yeah, that was that was fun. I I'd forgot a lot of like those Thursday nights would be going to the thing in the student center, picking up the free food, which was usually pretty terrible. Oh, oh it was always horrible. It, for like I think in general it was just a it was bad food. Oh, was I was I I'm so upset with myself. I was going to take a picture of this. I was at um, a, a college that was hosting a regional college fair for high school students in central Pennsylvania, Shippensburg University. I was there on Thursday. And okay. as I was driving out, I drove past the, well, it was in the dining hall. And I drove past a truck. And on the side, it was Chartwells, the, uh, hey. <laughs> the, the infamous <laughs> provider of DePaul food. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's just everywhere. Did you stop in and get some, like, uh, soggy fries? Uh, lots of soggy like? fries or uh, some, uh, I don't know, taco salads or... Yeah, pizza that taco, wasn't that good. Taco salad's like a you know one of the most horrible things humans have created. Like <laughs> if it's not if it's not amazing, it's just the most awful thing. Yeah, it's I always like just sad, remember like pathetic. yeah, it was just too much lettuce and too much beans, and the meat like had no flavor, and the bowls were just like either way too crispy or nothing going on. So. Yeah, that and then uh, what Brownstones, is that what the coffee shop was named? But that was pretty bad coffee, man. <laughs> I, I remember one time, this is a bad memory for me. I just remember one time running on about four, three hours of sleep, and I went to Brownstones right before, uh, right after our musicians of class. I had drank, like, uh, they, that was when they had 30 ounces of, like, beer, of, uh, not beer, of uh, coffee you could get. I drank those 30 ounces in 10 minutes, and I felt sick the entire day. Uh, and that, that meal, that meal, uh, what is it, the meal plan money just backfired on me at that point. It was, it was fun for, like, a couple months, and then you were just like, man, this, the variety really isn't that great. And I, I go, you know, occasionally I'll go to the... Um, to the primary dining hall where I work, and one, the quality is just nights, night and day better, um, but also the variety. And you would think that, I don't know, I guess the DePaul Student Center has variety because of all the different like types of restaurants it have, but I don't know. It's, it didn't quite do it for me. So, yeah, DePaul food definitely got a lot of... Uh, a lot of flack, and when I was a student, I, I think I remember defending it a little bit more, but looking back now and, like, having tried other colleges and university dining halls, like, man, that was rough, so I don't know if that's DePaul, I don't know if that's Chartwells, I don't know if it's some of both, but, uh, yeah, not great. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's more or less what I wanted to get through. We're uh, right at an hour here, which is going to be the longest podcast, I think, so apologies for, for keeping you so much, but, uh, uh, I'll be in, oh, in Chicago two weeks from now. Uh, two weeks from today, I'm advertising this to the world because it's going to be a, a blowout. So I hope Ryan and Sean are okay with that because they're the ones who live there. It's a farewell to Farwell. Uh, my old apartments, they're finally moving out of it. I think the rent there is like it's 1700 a month, I think, for four bedrooms, which is a steal. Uh, but it also means that it is a trash pile. Um, oh, so it's a huge trash heap. JP, you're going to be there, right? I will be there. Okay, absolutely. I don't want anybody flaking on this because it's one time I'm in Chicago and it's just an absolute rager of a party. So, um, yeah, we got to get everybody who's anybody there. I want to I want to see everybody from, from school. So uh, I'll, I'll bring my brother out. He'll, he'll dude, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, he can 
if you can serenade us with some uh, Malmsteen, maybe some guitar. Oh, yeah. Give me some of that Ying Wei. Oh yeah, that's that's good stuff. If anybody doesn't know uh, Malmsteen, go check out the Icarus Stream, which is a popular uh, was a popular video among uh, us when we were undergrads. One other thing that just popped into my head that um, I, man, I don't know why we did this so much, and I don't think you were ever a super active part of it. I think I was definitely the instigator, but. You remember all the Facebook group chats we had and all the variations? And yeah. <laughs> I was just like, why did we do that so much? I guess that was our primary way of communicating because we didn't group text for whatever reason. But, yeah, there are too many. I'm, I'm convinced that's like – I still have all the – they're like relics now. They're just existing oh, yeah. in my messenger. Just, I just have them, and I see them from time to time like, yeah. That, that was a thing. Well, and there was always a different variation because of whoever the flavor of the month, like, other person that was close to our friend group was. So I won't name any names, but I'm sure you remember all those different people. So I do. I do. <laughs> uh, I actually am going to ask you about uh, one of those people after we wrap up here. So let me, let me close it out here because uh, we are 61 minutes into the podcast. I want to thank... Uh, John Paul Pandowski so much for coming on and sharing his insight and just um, allowing me to really uh, go back to a, a different time for for just one hour here. Um, so JP, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, man. Have you back again sometime. Yeah. Uh, this has been Quinn David Furness. This is my podcast, the Beantown Podcast. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We are at BeantownCast. If you have any comments, concerns, or suggestions, you can email us at beantownpodcast at yahoo.com. That's beantown, B-E-A-N-T-O-W-N, podcast, yahoo.com. Uh, next week, no big plans. Uh, it will be a farewell to June, and then a uh, week after that is a Chicago trip. So I don't know what's going to happen there. We're yet to figure that out. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you made it this far into the podcast, appreciate you. Uh, let me know what you thought. And uh, otherwise, hope you have a good weekend. All right. Bye.